Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 134, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today, we're joined in studio by Justin Tarnow, or Professor Tarnow, who heads up, that's accurate to say, heads up the yeah. heads up the Flying Dog University, which is a cool program that Flying Dog does, uh, teaching basically everything about beer from every aspect, right? Yeah, I would, I would add to that as well. It's not just beer, but it's also the culture around beer, too. So we've got friends in like cheese, charcuterie, cigars, um, almost anything that kind of fits into the world of craft beer as well. But even though those gla- those classes, too, are beer-centric sort of, right? Like with yeah. pairing with beer, or is it just purely about cheese mongering? And- well, there, when you talk about at least some of these things that we've talked about so far, like chocolate, cheese, charcuterie, cigars, those are all fermented products. So we, there's a lot of, you're right, and you know, when uh, we're having a beer and cigar class coming up, of course, and the majority of the focus that night is going to be tobacco, where it's grown and how it's treated. But yeah, a big part of it is uh, the parallels between fermenting tobacco and sourcing these ingredients and how they work together. The, the I think it was, man, it must have been like five years ago now, yeah. Flying Dog teamed up with uh, CAO. CAO to do yep. that pack of uh, cigar pairings. Yep. That, was, that was probably the last time I actually smoked a cigar. Those were so good. <laughs> yeah. That that yeah. event was awesome. Yeah. No, it was a fun pairing. And yeah, those those were based off of um, we had um, we basically were given these things called blanks where most cigars actually have like a, a blend of different tobaccos. But these blanks had just one tobacco in them. So they were basically handing us these versions of cigars that we could isolate the tobacco and figure out which tobaccos work. And then they come up with they came up with actual blends that then worked with some of our core beers at the time. So, yeah, fun project to be around and kind of the inspiration between um, a class that we've now done uh, three years in a row. So let's let's take a step back and talk about you a yeah. little bit first, because you um, did some cool stuff before you started working at the brewery, right? Yeah, I was. Um, I've just been a huge cra- uh, fan of craft beer for quite some time now. I remember, you know, when import beer was some of the coolest things you can get your hands on. Um, and then, you know, I kind of taught myself how to homebrew in like the mid two thousands. And then uh, the next thing you know, um, yeah, I'm trying to get a job up there because I really was hungry to learn more about beer and be able to teach more people about beer. But, yeah, I've worked um, in brew pubs and um, ale houses and run, you know, beer infusion programs and did all their staff training there. So teaching about beer, I felt like I've always kind of been it. But having an official beer professor title is, you're right, something in like the last five years or so. When did you start a Flying Dog? So this July will be six years for me. So yeah. that was 2013. Yeah, you'll. I'll let Ish. you do the math. Yeah. <laughs> um, the when you started there, was it f- for this job, or have you grown into this? I, I don't remember. A little bit of both. They we or Flying Dog at the time. They knew they wanted to run a beer education program. They didn't even know how it would look or, or who would really, you know, um, steer this whole thing and. I was kind of approached um, through an employee at Flying Dog at the time that was aware that I was doing beer dinners with under the or in kind of couching these beer dinners and in, in beer education. And so a couple people from Flying Dog basically infiltrated these classes, kind of liked what I was doing there at a very stripped down level. Um, and then the idea was is they, they kind of got me in as a tour guide at the time to learn the culture, learn how that brewery works. Um, and then from there, uh, we've we built the program. So we always kind of knew that this was something that they were going to look forward to. But yeah, at the time, you, you remember back when what now is the classroom was the merch room. Yeah. So we had to move all that merch out and completely redesign some things and turn that into a classroom. And yeah, now it would seem strange to not have that those desks in there, I think. Yeah, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, a Facebook memory popped up yeah. of uh, um 
a tour that we did uh, with the FNP. Yep. So it was like one of the time PD mm-hmm. came with the the Winnebago. Which yep. do you guys still have the Winnebago? It just sits out there okay. now. The uh, Winnebago's it's like a living room on wheels, and so you <laughs> have to have somebody that knows like plumbing, knows like uh, carpentry, and knows how to work on a car all at the same time. So. It got to be too expensive to try to keep it uh, up and running, but we just now use it as a display because the wrap, wrap still looks cool on it. Yeah, so it was back when uh, Petey was working there and driving around the Winnebago, mm-hmm. and for I guess you mainly did it to bring people to the brewery for like the yeah. special company uh, company type tours. Yep. So we came in one of those, and I think it was the because this is the second Winnebago, isn't it? I think that's right. Because it was the original one. It was the light blue one yep. with all the classic Flying Dog beers and the classic logos on yeah. it. So it was, it was weird looking at those and just how different the Flying Dog tap room is now. Because it was the patio was still just that tiny little yep. bl- a square with the uh, – the hop vines, uh, vines yeah, all the, over the – I remember the trellis. Strung yeah. Up. yeah. So, so what's, what's you know, or to kind of add another chapter to this. So what's what's interesting is at the time when all that was going on, my now wife was a tour guide with Flying Dog, and so that's kind of also how they sort of knew what was going to happen, or knew that there was a guy out there that was you know kind of trying to be bring beer education to the masses. So when uh, the earliest classes, where what started out with there was because um, I know there was the one that we talked about the bring yeah. your own grill that was one yeah. of the early ones that. Yeah, I wish was still going on because I would love to do that. Although logistically, that just seems like a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> the I, w- I guess they were doing like they were hiring people or, you know, they were doing like paint by numbers. And we had some other like, you know, sort of locals, you know, uh, artists that would come by and kind of do like demos slash classes. So I'd say that it was probably the year, probably 2011, 2012, when they were running a program called Masters in the Universe. And Masters of the Universe was almost like a way of kind of getting sort of highlighting and, and um, showcasing some of the other culture around us. So, you know, we, we've been making a beer called um, Cujo, which is like a coffee uh, porter for quite some time. So we'd bring in the coffee roaster and let them do like a coffee class that month that it came out. So I guess you're right. I mean, kind of some of your history, too, has kind of reminded me some of the things that kind of were budding and sort of turned into maybe we could dedicate a space and a person and a time just for education. Yeah. Cause it, it used to just be a lot of piecemeal type things mm-hmm. where it was just had, like, cause I remember there was a, a cheese yep. pairing night that was just with a local cheese company yep. and like a lot of those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, people, they're hungry or you know, literally hungry for knowledge <laughs> and, you know, in more than one way. And I think that they're really curious about all these things and, it's kind of a unique time where we've – I heard something the other day that we've got more people watching cooking shows but less people actually cooking at home. That's so it's funny. almost like we're we're looking at, like, the culinary arts on almost like the spectator sport that, like, people want to, like, observe and learn about it and experience it. Um, and, of course, you know, I think one of my passions is to try to get them excited and get them hands-on and, and teach them to do these things or explore these things more on their own. So – yeah, I mean, it's been around for a while, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. So what is your favorite um, FTU course? So I get I get probably the most out of, I really love doing our beer sensory class. Um, it, it's We, we kind of leave the brewing process aside. We don't really talk much about ingredients, but I probably get the biggest kick out of sort of explaining p- or to people how to train their sensory and towards the end of the class, when you're talking about a flavor note or something that's in the beer, and then all of a sudden they just get that look on their face where it kind of clicks with them. And they're like, okay, I, now I smell the tangerines that you're talking about. Or now I smell the the floral content of this beer. And I, I probably get the biggest kick out of seeing people learn, like surprise themselves with how good their sensory can be when they're just kind of guided or nudged in the right direction. I could challenge you with that as Ooh. a student who would not be able to do anything correctly. <laughs> I, I'm as one of the things I am absolutely horrible out, horrible at is sensory type things. You're my favorite student. Then <clears throat> I, I, I even well, I took a. Do you remember Jim Swicky? Mm. 
So he he used to he was a member of Junto, okay. and but he used to teach a BJCP class, yeah. and it was like a few months long. Yep. And I took that, and I still I left it without being yeah. able to describe anything. <laughs> I I think we're we're all a little you know we're we're all a little stunted here in the U.S. because we're we're taught from a young age to describe foods with like two different words, good or bad. Well, that's a, I well that's, I just grunt it. Yeah, good. exactly. Good. Good. I like, I don't (laughs) like this, you know, and I think that one of the big things I try to work with people too, is I want you to know what you don't like. And I want you to understand and and learn how to articulate with yourself. Is this beer too sweet? Is it too bitter? Is it got too much hopper? You know, what's going on with this? Because if we can, if I can help you figure out what you don't like, you can then use that as your springboard to start making better beer decisions. So, so funny enough, those are usually the only descriptors I do know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and just in general, like Idaho seven gross mm-hmm. hop. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I don't think I've had a beer yet that had that as like the centerpiece mm-hmm. hop that's in, and enjoyed it. But I don't, yeah. but because I'm, um, so inept in descriptors, right? I, I don't know why it is yeah. that I don't like it. Well, that's that's what's cool about. I mean, there's that's. I think that is a popular hop. I'm a fan of Idaho Seven. I think there's probably more hop varieties out there that I love than I don't love. But I, I guess I would then just say in response that you know there's almost 200 varieties out there, and if you start finding out which ones you don't like, at least use that as if you see that listed on someone else's beer, then you know to stay away from. I that still one. keep exactly. trying it, but well. You know. I figure at some point I'll find something I like with yeah. one. They, they say your palate changes about every seven years. So give yourself another seven years and maybe you'll dig it. And I I don't even think it takes that long, at mm-hmm. least in the world of beer. Cause, yeah. And maybe it's, it plays into like just palate fatigue or yeah. getting tired of certain styles or so. But I, I'll definitely ebb and flow on what styles I like the most. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we, and, and sometimes it can or even be. joy, I guess. It, it, you're right. It maybe it could even take a couple seconds. I mean, there we were, we were tasting some beer today. Uh, we have a, a kiwi uh, kettle sour that we were just tasting, and we were talking about how you've got to give that beer at least three sips until you even try to make your mind up on that. And that that first sip is so shocking because of the the sourness and acidity. And then your second sip, you're kind of, it's like your taste buds kind of learning what to expect and you're kind of bracing yourself for it. And then I'd usually say if we can get somebody to take that third sip, they usually end up having a completely different opinion on that third sip than that first. And it's funny, um, I don't know what it is about Raging Bitch in particular, but that's a beer I always use an example of how much your palate at that given moment can yep. dictate whether you like something. Because... Yeah. That's a beer that I can drink and absolutely love, mm-hmm. or it's a beer I can drink and hate it. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's always one or the other. No, and yeah. it, it's uh, I'm assuming it's just based on what else I had eaten or drank that day. Oh yeah, no, that that's huge. Our uh, our tasting panel, the now we'll we'll be with full transparency. There's not a group of people at the brewery that their own sole job is just to walk around with a clipboard and, <laughs> and give us thumbs up and thumbs down. So the but the people that have have proven that they have an understanding and a, a trained palate enough to be able to basically decide if this batch of beer is congruent with previous batches of beer. And um, yeah, a lot of that tasting has to happen uh, basically before lunch. And yeah. because lunch can throw off your palate so much because of the carryover of what you had and and the prescri- uh, perception of it. So, yeah, 100% I agree. And I don't know what it is about that beer. Maybe mm-hmm. you can tell me, Professor. But, like, that is seems to be one of the most um, polarizing beers to me yeah. with what my palate. I, I guess from my own perception of what I get when I when I think Raging Bitch is it's 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 both Belgian and it's IPA and that's kind of a hard thing to describe for the Belgian side of it because we all kind of can recognize that Belgian flavor but it's hard again it's hard to articulate and sort of describe what it is but I'd say that the hop in that one is a really unique one it's the Amarillo hop so it's a first of all it's a patented hop it's hard to get your hands on and not a lot of breweries can 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 get a great deal of that hop to make a flagship beer with. Um, but usually the when you isolate the hop side of it, it's got this citrusy, and specifically in the citrus, it's grapefruity. And then I get this like floral, slightly spiciness that then starts playing on the yeast. And the yeast, uh, the El Diablo strain of yeast that's proprietary to us, basically gives it this like 
kind of spiced banana bread kind of characteristic. And then there's also this little bit of like sort of juicy fruit gum kind of aroma in the background there. Um, so it's it's just as Belgian as it is IPA. And sometimes when I, and that's will be even a beer too, the first couple sips, I'm really sensitive to like the, the Belgian yeast in there. And then towards the end of it, I'm getting a little bit more of the Amarillo. So I feel like that's a beer that almost every time you take a sip and put the glass back down, you kind of pick up on something different. So maybe based on the day you've had that particular day and your your mood and the way the sun, moon, and the stars are aligned up, I think you're just yeah. you're probably just gravitating towards different parts of it. Maybe it's just like the cause of the complexity of it with yeah. all the different flavors that are going yep. around that yeah. can play into it a lot. Yeah. And and that's just a beer still, four basic ingredients. The same four ingredients that are in every other beer, but the proportions, how we source the ingredients and how we bring them all together is what makes that beer still to this date the most successful Belgian IPA hybrid to ever hit the market. So that, um, let's do a quick rundown mm-hmm. of what uh, courses FDU will be offering this year. We'll take a quick break and then we'll go into things more into each one a little bit more detail. Got it. So what what do you have coming up? So um, we're going to be doing the foundation of beer class is what we used to previously call this one beer 101. We dropped the numbers uh, recently because we didn't want people to feel like they had to take it in order. Um, so we'll start we start things off with the foundation of beer and that one we touch a little bit on beer history. I'm a firm believer on to know where beer is right now, where it's going to go. You got to know where it's been. Uh, and then we'll do an introduction to the classic four ingredients that every brewery is using. And then we'll go over some basics of the brewing process. And then we'll finish things up with a tasting on um, some classic beer styles. So we'll do a pale ale, an IPA, a stout, uh, maybe throw a wheat beer or a lager in there. Um, right after that, we're doing we're uh, one-upping one ourselves with doing a pairing beer and cheese two class. So we've been uh, linked up with our friends Chris Afuli's Cheese Shop for quite some time now. And they do a fantastic job of introducing what the four ingredients of cheese are and how cheeses come together. Uh, but we do some sort of basic cheeses that night. On this one, we're going to be pulling out the stinkier, the bolder, the, um, the meltier, the gooier cheeses, um, and basically uh, pairing them up with even more rare beers that you wouldn't come across as often um, as far as our offerings go. Uh, we do Beer Geek Tours the first Sunday of every month. That's a It's an hour-and-a-half-long tour where... We will start at the with the in the brew house, and we'll open up some equipment. And if the equipment's filled with ingredients, fantastic! We get to see things happening in real time. And if the equipment's empty, it's kind of cool to see all the moving parts. Um, we'll go to parts of the brewery that I bet you there's a bunch of employees that don't even know exist. Um, we're going to be doing beer and pickling again with our friends over at Sweet Farm. Again, we love the parallels between fermented products. Um, as far as you know, pickling was a necessity. In order to survive back in the day, you had to preserve food, and beer was kind of a necessity, but now they're both luxuries. So they were important then and were just as important now for um, having fun. Uh, Craft Beer Explained is what we used to call the 201 class, uh, and that one is basically a crash course in what, what is craft beer. Uh, where do all these extra ingredients come in? How do you get beers um, beyond 8% in alcohol, uh, aging beers, beer versus uh, wine, and things like that? Uh, we're going to be linking up with our friends again over at Key City uh, to do Tat Brew. And we basically, we saw that there was a huge um, uh, connection between the culture of people that tend to have a lot of tattoos and loving craft beer. And we look at both as an art form. So we th- felt as if that we could really um, uh, reach out to our friends and let them sort of showcase and highlight what makes a great tattoo artist. Uh, we're going to be bringing Real Ale class back where we'll go over the history of uh, cast condition and bottle condition beers and in the class itself every single student will build we're all together going to build a firkin that everybody's then invited to come back and taste we've been doing the cooking with beer class once a month with uh, the chef over at the kitchen studio cooking school and then that my favorite one that I was talking about is going to be September 7th the beer and sensory training Um, and then we're also we got a brand new one this semester beer etiquette and beer etiquette is basically just going to make sure um, that uh, makes people feel more comfortable with beer. And maybe they're performing some beer faux pas at home, and we want to sort of guide them through that. Uh, glassware, shopping for beer, storing beer, uh, aging beer, throwing a beer-centered uh, party with your friends or a dinner like that. So 
all kinds of neat things. And then um, the last class will be September 28th. We're going to be doing an Oktoberfest that basically talks about how Oktoberfest got to be the biggest fair in the world. And then the transition between how the Germans were, you know, basically holding down, making, you know, as a culture, they were making some of the best beer for hundreds of years there. And how did American craft breweries pick up where they left off? Cool. Yeah. All right. So let's take a real quick break to uh, thank our sponsors or sponsor, I guess, right now. And um, then I have some specific questions about some of these classes that we can talk about. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. So for the foundations of beer, it says a rigorous yes. exploration. So how far back, like where, where do you start out? Like when... With history? Yeah. So we we basically start off with the way that we believe, or most scientists now believe, uh, how beer was discovered. Uh, so we start off with that. Basically, every great discovery pretty much starts as an accident. So we talk about how you know people were probably probably storing grains. Somehow that starch in the grain got converted into a sugar. Once we got a sugar of wild yeast landed in there and it didn't take long until cavemen decided not only do I like the way that this tastes once it's fermented, but I love the way it makes me feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the next thing you know, um, beer was then uh, basically a food source because of the preservatives that naturally occur in beer. Um, and then, yeah, we basically, and then the calorie, the cal- caloric value, all the nutrients in yeah. it and, and yeah. it wasn't going to kill you cause it wasn't stagnant and yep. full of bacteria. Yeah. So yeah, almost every single civilization, almost every culture throughout the world has got some form of a grain fermented product, uh, or some form of a beer. Um, and then, yeah, we, we go right through, uh, up until prohibition and how our outlook on, you know, obviously we, we don't agree with what happened during prohibition. Um, I'm glad I wasn't alive during it, but I have some, uh, we have some really interesting outlooks on how much we think it actually helped, um, all craft beer. Yeah. Well, is that uh, you have to take the class to find out? Or? I could give you in a nutshell. Yeah. Like, yeah it, a quick synopsis of why. The, I would basically say that, or I think the, the most interesting fact about what, what, um, prohibition did for us, when you think about it, we've been recording music more consecutively here in this country than we've been brewing beer. So there was something that happened in beer culture where there was a little hiatus, there was a reset button. And I think that that's why now we've got cultures that were making great beer. You know, European beer was considered to be uh, superior to American beer. And at, at times it was true, but nowadays it's not true because we're not brewing beer this way because of tradition. We're brewing because of our philosophy. So I think that that little that little reset button I think actually nowadays is a good thing. Oh, that if if we would have just continued on, yep, it could have been still in the same place of yep. You brew a pilsner, you brew brew a, mm-hmm. a, a, a English IPA and exactly. all the regu- the yeah. classical styles. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, when you when you think of English beer and again German beer, um, there a lot of those breweries have been around for a long time and they're just keeping traditions going and there's nothing wrong with that they're doing a fine job with that but i think with the reason that beer, craft beer is exploding and growing so rapidly is there's always something new to figure out and as it's for consumers there's always something new for us to try yeah i recorded an episode with um, a guy from ellicott city that owns a brewery in germany yeah a few weeks actually it's a while ago at this point but and i'll finally release it at some point yeah but it was just, it was really interesting, the differences between mm-hmm. craft beer in Germany and here yeah. because of the Reinheitsgebot and yep. just the um, the knowledge, the, the education aspect of mm-hmm. it. I think he said there are like 40 craft breweries in all of Germany. Yeah. And they they sell, it's like point zero 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 one percent of the yep. beer consumed in Germany. Yeah. I mean, arguably, that was like our 90s. You know, when yeah. when there was just a handful of craft breweries throughout the entire nation and no one really understood it and no one really thought it was going to stick around. And gosh, here we are, you know, decades later. And, and look at look at how far we've all come. 
yeah, collectively it's double digits mm-hmm. uh piece of the market now yeah which even i mean just a few years ago it was yeah. uh, a fraction of what it was yeah i le- um I, I really at some point want to get to, i can't remember her name now but the woman who works for the um smithsonian as their yeah. beer historian yep I would I would love to have her on at some yeah. point and talk to her. I yeah. think she's extremely interesting. Oh, there's no way she can't be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the pairing beer and cheese, I I would assume that's pretty self explanatory. Or yeah, we're like I said, we we've been doing a, a beer um, beer and che- pairing beer and cheese one on one class for a couple years now, and each time you know we're we basically wanted to keep um, there's so much to learn in the world of cheese and we wanted to keep this idea fresh so people that have already come in over the years and done the one on one class we basically wanted to offer a sequel to it that sort of again steps it up and the beer will get to be more interesting and of course the cheese is going to be more interesting and yeah. so who um who picks the pairings? So it's it's a collaborative thing. Usually what we do is I'll show up with a bunch of cold beer uh, over at Chris Afoli's. We'll show up just after their lunch rush, and we usually just sit down at a table, and um, they'll start bringing out cheeses that they know will be available because uh, cheese has a seasonality to it as well. And I didn't there's, know that. Yeah. Cheese is fascinating. I've watched – I've been shocked at how – um, entertained I was by watching documentaries about oh, cheese. Man. That's when you know you got old, right? <laughs> yeah, I, and, that, and that maybe that is just too. I'm extremely boring, yeah. Yeah. and but like it's just it, the so much of, especially like um, the some of the ones that have to originate from mm-hmm. Europe, like the history between behind them, how yeah. complicated it is to make it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. If you think about it, you know the. The cheese is a. It comes from milk, but not all these. All, not all this livestock is producing milk year round. So if there's like a, you know, there's a seasonality to when the animals are going to basically be feeding, you know, their young, and there's so there's a seasonality to when you can actually get the authentic fresh milk. And then your the creameries around the area would have the challenge of, well, do we freeze the milk and then you know, then thaw it back out and continue to make cheese. But clearly once milk's been frozen, there's going to be a different um, characteristics going to come along with that. So yeah, there's a seasonality to all these cheeses and kind of almost like what we're, what you're probably a little more used to in the beer world where there's like one-offs yeah. or the, you know, there's one, one opening a year that barrel aged Gonzo will be available. And so there's some of these cheese uh, companies do things that are similar to that. Or the, um, Still, a few breweries that do it where they'll have a beer that's timed perfectly with a certain hop uh, crop yep. when it's uh, harvested, yep. and or or a certain um, you know holiday or time of year or something yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. So yeah, we'll she'll they'll break out a bunch of cheeses that they're excited about and know will be available uh, for whatever time of the year the the class is going to be, and then it really comes down to. We know we've struck gold. We know we've hit a great pairing when, uh, you know, you, you take a sip of beer, you get a bite of cheese, you get that l- another sip of beer right after the cheese, and your feet start moving around. <laughs> and uh, so that's where, you, you know, there, and it's there's just something that the two, I almost like to say one, you know, one flavor plus one flavor will, will give you a third flavor. So it's that overlap between the sip of the beer and the bite of cheese that um, will be remarkable and you'll really remember it or... Sometimes we'll just look at each other and we're like, I don't hate it, but I don't really love it. Let's keep going. And then we'll, we'll open up another beer. Um, and then eventually you'll, you'll start finding some that work really well. I feel like it, that's something that um, takes true talent to be able to, like, to come up. I mean, I guess you could do it by accident. Yeah. But some people are just really, really good at pairing beers yeah. together yeah. with food. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably one of my favorite parts of the the beer sensory class. I guess we keep talking about is that there's there are a couple principles to live by, and some of them are you know just as simple as matching your intensities. Uh, so the the bolder the cheese is going to get, we're going to need a bolder beer to hold up to it. That doesn't always work because sometimes you want a refreshing lighter beer, maybe after a bolder cheese to kind of break up that. But usually matching your intensities um, and then also just thinking I, – I, some of my favorite are contrasting flavors. I think that um, when you've got it, two separate flavors that don't seem like they're going to work, but then they become a little bit more harmonious when you give them a try, those are usually the ones that uh, people really remember. 
So if, if you can describe, you know, uh, maybe two different flavors that don't seem like they're going to work well together, but then when they do come together, they're awesome. There was, um, there, there was a woman who worked at Flying Dog forever ago named Gwen, who yep. had the title Sensory Goddess. Mm-hmm. I think she was vegan, maybe. And somehow she still did perfect, amazing um, cheese and beer. Yeah. And um, I think she even did a wing one, one a, a wing pairing once. Yeah. And like the way they went together was amazing. So I mm-hmm. guess it was just simply she had the sensory no knowledge yeah. and vocabulary that she just needed to know what the descriptors of something more yeah. was to pair them together perfectly. Because I did a a cheese pairing with her once where it, like it was a beard that I typically don't like at all, a cheese yeah. that I hate. Yep. And together it it tasted phenomenal. That's my favorite. I I love yeah. Whenever I can get a student to say something like that, like oh, I don't like these things separate, but together they work. Um. There, you know, super tasters are real. It's a real thing. There's even a test um, that we're we're thinking about doing, like a, a 200 level beer sensory, you know, class. And is that and when you do the the strip and it? A couple different ways you can do it, but yeah, there's a strip, and um, if it tastes like nothing, you are at the low end. If it tastes kind of bitter to you, you're like right in the middle. And if it's so bitter that you can't stand it, and you got to take that strip right off your palate, and you need a glass of water, you are now in the super tasters. I need to get one of those because yeah. I'm pretty sure that I would not taste anything. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I I think most people would probably land right in the middle. Um, but you know, the, yeah, it's, it can be a thing, and that's but that's just analyzing your taste buds. In addition to that, I think that there are super smellers. I don't know if there's a test out there for them, but there are clearly people that their job is to, you know, uh, blend perfumes or yeah. uh, just, you know, uh, lend their, their sensory to the culinary world. And, and certainly there are some people that just have a, a heightened sense of that. So I don't know if it's something I'd want to wish for, because uh, could you imagine how awful Thanksgiving dinner at the in-laws is going to be? Yeah. You're a super taster and you're, or, you're focused on every little detail. Or like, if you're like a super smeller, just mm-hmm. the, like normal life has got to probably be miserable. Oh, yeah. For... yeah. Yeah. If it's something, you know, you go to the gas station and you just, you can't get over that overwhelming aroma or you're right. Um, yeah. Someone lets one out in church or something and you just can't, <laughs> can't get over it. Um, so beer geek tours, that mm-hmm. one seems pretty self-explanatory that you just show every nook and cranny of the brewery, every nook and cranny. And we, we always do those on Sundays. Sundays is one of the best, com- I think one of the coolest days to come by because we can go into areas, um, that would usually be a little bit more dangerous. So we can go inside the filling room. We can go inside the warehouse, which usually those are off limit areas. Like if, if I took you around the brewery right now, we, unless you had a hard hat and, Still toe boots and safety wear and, and training, you can't go into some of these areas. So, yeah, it's really cool to go through. And then I think the funnest part, too, about that is we get to go back to the classroom and we'll open up really rare beers. So, I'll get oh, to cool. open up some old barley wine. We'll open up um, maybe a pilot batch of beer that we're still experimenting with. So, everybody on the, for that tour is considered a VIP and sort of gets a VIP treatment. So, for the um, Craft Beer Explained and Beer Geek tours, do you end up with like people who are more skewing towards people who are already passionate about craft beer and know a lot, or is, are there a lot of people who are using this as a way to like, it's an introduction to like try to learn. Uh, So I, that's a good question. I I guess I'd have to answer it with, um, right around the holiday or right after the holidays, the first like four months of the year, almost every tick, almost every ticket is a gift. So, you know, you're the craft beer drinker in the family and somebody buys you something for the holidays. And so the the first couple of months, it's kind of always, yeah, my daughter-in-law bought me this or, you know, my son got me this. And um, all they know about me is I like to drink. Yeah. And so (laughs) I I guess, yeah, as as the beer person in your family, it's it's probably just it's something that maybe they wouldn't think to get. So we get a lot of those Um, we get. And and then it gets to be kind of class specific. We um, we have this huge following of couples that loves the the cooking with beer classes. and so that's almost, it's almost always people uh, in pairs of two and it's kind of their date night. They got a babysitter for the night. It's usually, uh, well, he likes to cook and I like beer and, uh, <laughs> you know, we get a lot of those, but we also get a lot of folks that they think that they can test out of like the maybe 100 level class. They'll come into the craft beer crash course. They're a home brewer or they're aspiring to open up their own brewery one day. 
And then they end up taking the ones after it. Then they go retro, and then they'll take the ones before it that they thought that they could test out of. <laughs> uh, so we get a lot of those too, and and that's again part of the reason we got rid of the numbers is we we wanted you, we wanted this to be fun. This is about beer appreciation more than anything. So you know whatever class you think you is interesting to you, that's the one we want to get you in. Um, we don't want to feel like there's a prerequisite for any of these. So cooking with beer which I recently took, which yeah. is awesome. It's fun. Because um, as amazing as you are, Christine Van Bloom is just as amazing. Oh, so you have more. To, <laughs> <laughs> so you have the one-two punch. Uh-huh. Um, and anyone who takes it, I advise to not eat that day. At all. Uh, or maybe even the previous day, because <laughs> it is a lot of food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as much beer as really you 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 could safely drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think told what the class that you did with us, we probably at least pulled out 10 different probably recipes or so or beer rest or beer yeah. brands. I would say. Yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. Cause there was the beer that was used in mm-hmm. each recipe and yep. then you did, I don't know, just a beer for the hell of it in between yeah, <laughs> each yeah. recipe. There were, yeah, everybody was, well, it was supposed to, everybody's in their own station. And even though you might not have been working around that station, I was grabbing you beer that was being incorporated. So, yeah, I want you as a student to taste the beer as a raw ingredient and kind of treat it like that. Um, and then see see if you can then pick up and understand how that beer changed the flavor of the food you're going to eat uh, when we, it is time to sit down and eat. Um, and that's where I also try to pair a different beer that was wasn't just gonna say, And then there was also the pairing. Yeah. There was the for no good reason beers yep. other than it's beer. Yeah. Um, the ingredient beers and yeah. then the pairing beers. Yeah. Yeah. You don't leave thirsty. Yeah. No, not yeah. even a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I love that class. And so also conveniently, there's a hotel right next door that you may as well. Just... Oh, we, we plan that perfectly. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> you should probably just book a hotel room yeah. Yeah. there also or Uber there. Yep. No accident. Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing that class for a while. Um, I, I, Chef Christine, she, you're right. She is a personality. Yeah. Um, the, and, and that was, she was in rare form that night. That was her first time coming back after her surgery. Yes, and, she's raring to go. Yeah, she, and how cool was that, that, that it was the beer, cooking with beer class that she couldn't, she just couldn't, she couldn't stand back. She had to get involved with it. Um, but, yeah, we had a lot of fun, and we've been having fun for a while. We, uh, when I first approached her to talk about cooking with beer classes, I was so passionate, and she'll tell you the story too. I was so passionate about the quality in beer. You know, keep it cold, keep it out of the light. You gotta, you know, treat your beer like you would milk. That I tried saying to her, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I want you to use beer as a raw ingredient. I don't want you to heat up the beer." And <laughs> she, oh my god, she was just biting her lip. I'm sure because uh, she tells the story every almost every class after that. Now she says that she was actually able to teach me that you can heat up the beer which me is like you know from a brewery background was like sacrilege but she knows how to balance the beer back out and how to extract the flavor she wants and then get it to work and with the recipe so she's the only person i trust to heat up the beer. <laughs> <laughs> how often um does the menu for that change every three months okay so the the next classes have the same recipe as what I did, right? Because that was the yes. first of that recipe. Yep. You were April, right? Yeah. Yep. So we've got, we'll, we'll do this uh, menu again this month. We'll do it again next month. But then Also, I if guess you're trying to eat healthy, don't do this menu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I think what the switch up would then be in July. So July, August, September will then be the next menu. And the, the yeah, we want to keep the menu fresh, but then the seasonality of our beers, oh my gosh, changes even more yeah. than the seasonality of her food. But then as well, the seasonality of, of yeah, what you want to eat, yep, of what you're going to want to eat. And so over the summer, it'll be maybe things that could easily be taken out to the grill or on a, on a barbecue or something like that. So yeah, everything keeps changing. Yeah. But if you want to learn how to make uh, shrimp po' boys mm-hmm. and chicken and waffles and well, it's too uh, late now. And unless you're already signed up, they're all sold out. Oh, that's right too. Yeah. I, I needed to take the class to write an article mm-hmm. about it. And I did have, I had to push it back further because yep. they sell out so far yep. in advance. So yeah. plan way ahead. If yeah. you're going, if you want to take the cooking with beer, and, and which I highly recommend yeah. taking. So yeah, we don't have a hard time selling that one out, but that's uh, but yeah, it's almost like the a secret. I guess we need to keep if you want to keep taking them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or just plan a yeah. year in advance. Yeah. Or so. yeah. So I don't quite understand tat and brew. Yeah. Is that is that just basically teaching about tattoos or like? So it's yeah, we wanted again the the idea for us. So we 
we were one of the first breweries that I'm aware of that we started kind of noticing tattoo culture and in and being open and upfront with it. There's a lot of people at the brewery uh, that are heavily tattooed and we are just fine with hiring people with tattoos. You know, we don't we don't judge with that. And then we started noticing that our employees were all getting flying dog branded tattoos. They were either getting the Batwing logo or they would get um, some other um, uh, piece of artwork that we use. Flying dogs still have that policy to give a discount can, to anyone. You see where I'm going with this. Yeah. So, yeah. So we started then, just, you know, kind of reaching out and saying, well, you know, anybody that's, that's you know, loves us enough that they want to put one of our, you know, art pieces on them forever. We started giving them a discount in the tasting room. Um, once that started taking off, the we didn't know that this, they were going to do this, but for our holiday party, they hired the guys from Key City to make a, a like a, a pop up tattoo parlor in our classroom. And during the holiday party, anybody that wanted a tattoo would be on Flying Dog's tab. Oh, cool! So I ended up getting the the uh, the Dead Rise Crab on my arm. Um, uh, two beers into the night, Graham <laughs> wants oh. you to hold it up. Here, can we get it? Higher. Um, so yeah, we, I ended up getting the, uh, the dead rise crab and I kind of started as I'm sitting there talking with the guys, I was like, I would really love to, to do a tattoo class with you in this classroom. So we just kind of used the time to sort of lay down the foundation. Cause I just, I think it's an art form and I think it's cool. And well, it I think definitely it's is. Yeah. Um, so, so do you go into like the history of tattoos and like, or, well, the, the, or is it more of like the, the cross culture parts of it? Yeah, we we start with the cross culture that, you know, today, in theory, you are just as likely to um, have your car worked on by a heavily tattooed person as you are to maybe get surgery by somebody that's heavily tattooed. So we've kind of the 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 whole idea of, you know, nothing but criminals or riffraffs yeah. get tattoos. I think that's gone. And I think we're starting to I think we're we're all it's becoming more mainstream. So. It's almost a very similar story to, to brewers and beer itself. It was looked at as like a blue collar beverage. Yeah. But now, you know, um, uh, you know, we, we had our president brew a craft beer in the White House, you know, uh, a, a term ago. And so this is it's a neat time to be alive. And we just again, we saw parallels. So we start off with the culture and how much it's changed. We do get into the history of it and the advent of the the machinery that goes along with tattooing and also the advents of how the machinery in the beer world works. So. Yeah, you could almost tie beer into sort of anything because beer is such a – it can be stripped down. It can be a very basic, simple product, or it can be very complex and very unique, yeah. kind of like a tattoo. Yeah, I can't imagine there's much stigma left at all. I'm, I'm sure there's still people who find them – Yeah. Whatever negative adjective you want to use, but right. I, I feel like there can't be that many people left now or you would hate – I'm sure a big yeah. part of the population. Yeah, I'm sure there, there's a probably a grandparent or two of mine that's probably rolling over in their grave <laughs> <laughs> that I've got a crab on my arm. But um, no, you're right. Most of the young folks nowadays, and and you know, I think a lot of people just are, are completely okay with it. Um, but the coolest part about the class, one of the things I got to talk about, is that with the purchase of the ticket, um, it it uh, Key City grants you then a uh, a forty dollar voucher to then take back to their shop. Oh, where cool. they will put a tattoo on you just for buying the ticket itself. So with the value of the beer and the education that you get and the price of the ticket and then the tattoo, you can either put that $40 down towards a big back piece or something. I'm sure they would love that. Or there's also a couple things that you could choose from that that $40 will get you something about the size of like what's on my arm right oh, now. Oh, cool. So, yeah, there's there's uh, some cross promotion in that. Um, Key City, that's the one off of E Street, like over by um, yep. Midnight Run. Yes, right by Midnight okay. Run, exactly. Yep, across the street from Spinners. Um, then we have, we talked about sensory training, mm -hmm. how I could probably use a lot of that. Beer etiquette. I find that one yeah. interesting. So what are um, some of the faux pas that that you would say are the, the some of the biggest ones? Well, most of what I, is I always try to I'm, – I'm a beer fan, and I'm a beer consumer myself. I go out, and believe it or not, I buy beer from other breweries because I want to see what's available. I want to see what I can be inspired by. So there's a certain um, method to my madness when I'm searching for beer either in a bar or a restaurant or at a beer store that I'm going to – or a grocery store and take something home. So a lot of, you know, I have a lot of fun um, not only introducing beer to students and walking them through it, but anybody that's going to stop by the house, you know, uh, if they drop into, you know, to 
uh, pick something up from us or they're, you know, they maybe babysat for us or something like that. I'm probably going to, you know, get you, corner you and get you to taste a beer. <laughs> so I guess I wanted to bring that experience comes to the just mat. This beer comes, again. Oh, it's, it's hard babysitting for us. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> Um, but no, I wanted to bring that experience and, and get all the stuff that I feel like maybe I take for granted. Um, and I wanted to, to make sure that other people are, are looking for shopping for and, and tasting beer. Uh, am I putting the beer in the right glass? And, uh, what is a beer clean glass? So how much does that bother you? If you see someone like drinking an IPA out of Pilsner glass. So uh, the, the best way to answer that you is slap the, it out of their hand. And these are, these are, <laughs> they're good, better, best scenarios. It's good having a beer. And it's just, I'd rather have a beer out of a bottle or a can than no beer at all. That's the first thing I'll say. So I'm adaptable to situations too. Better would be that I can pour that beer into a nice clean glass. The best would be pouring the right beer into the right shaped glass. So I will do all three. It just it depends on what it is. If we're fishing, yeah, I'm going to drink right out of a can. That's fine. But uh, once we've caught something and it's now time to go home, that's where I can elevate it and make the best out of every situation. So I guess it's that that I want to get. I want to help everybody with. Have you ever taken a tour of Heavy Seas? I haven't been there yet. So if you, I think Hugh still does them. Mm-hmm. So everyone's you can you can buy tickets for tours that Hugh Sisson, the founder of yeah. Heavy Seas, gives himself. Mm-hmm. And he all, I think I've taken two by him. In both times, he gave a passionate speech about why you should never drink out of a bottle. Right. And it's just hilarious. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the I understand the principles. But again, if if we're out at a, a picnic or a, a barbecue or something and there's no glasses whatsoever, what am I? Are you telling me my option is no beer? Yeah. And I guess that I would argue that with yeah. you. But I, I wouldn't want to argue gravity with you. I would. <laughs> whatever he says. I'll, so I'll take. bottle or can or a red solo cup. Which one's better? Out of all three of those, the red solo cup is going to be the best. So the, do you want to? So what's happening with um, out of either the glass or the bottle here is that the bottle traps in too much aromatic. And I apologize, that glass was not beer clean. No, it's fine. Well, again, it's better than no glass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you basically want you want to get it into a glass because there's basically these invisible molecules that are drifting off the beer that you want to have go in, uh, into your olfactory senses and pick up on the aromas. Um, and it's just harder to do when it's coming out of either a bottle or a can because the opening is literally bottlenecked. So you, especially once you're about halfway through too, those aromas are going to get up towards the top and they're just going to stay stuck inside there. So there's this beautiful cloud of beer perfume inside this bottle right now that it's just not coming out. Yeah. But Hetty Topper specifically tells me to drink it from the can. They sure do. And I have a theory on that. So they we've got to give them credit, give credit when it's due. I, I think that, the, you know, that's, an, that's a, um, an admirable beer. And I think that that was the first time that we as brewers, I'll kind of throw us all into one category here. I think that was one of the first time that we as brewers – we're trying to say, don't worry about the way it looks. Yeah. Focus on the way that it smells and tastes. Yeah, yeah. well, it didn't want to freak people out because there are chunks floating around it. and you, Unless you you're go. drinking a, a bottle-conditioned aged Belgian, which right. if you're buying that, you know yes. that there can be things floating around right. if you don't pour correctly. Or... So I, I think that they were very innovative. They yeah. came up with a brand-new idea, um, and I think they were just being smart with 10 people. Yeah, you know, that don't was, get, yeah, that don't was get... more for snarks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a cool beer, but no, I, I pour it into a glass. So, so do you give – is that also like – are you giving the list of like here are the things you do at a brewery that everyone hates you for or – well, I, I guess I would we'd focus you steer you a little more towards that. These are things that are completely okay, and we'd okay. want you to we'd want you to tell you you know I don't want to tell you what not to do, but we'd want you to feel a lot more comfortable with what to do. Um, but there could be a couple things in there that we would say that by the way, you know it, it it's not so much. I'm not worried about teaching people how to give our bartenders the best experience. It's about their experience because yeah. it's their day off and they they drove out <laughs> to see us, so I want them having a good time. But I feel like there probably is a long list of of things that like the sure like i'm sure there's a, actually if i google it there's probably a buzzfeed listicle oh my gosh of, yeah. uh, the things you do at a brewery that make yeah. the employees crazy yeah I, if i had to get one off my chest it would be the probably the people that they want to they want to style equivalent to everything you know if we've like innovated or pioneered something brand oh. new and they're like but but who else makes one like this <laughs> 
And so that's where I guess it's not so much that it like pisses me off, but it's really hard to like get them out of that mindset of you know this where is you brand could, new. Well, actually, they, they yeah. don't really exist anymore. But you could just send that person to OC Brewing yeah. because Graham and I were forced there to go once, and the horrendous flight of beer that we received yeah. that's how each one was described to us this is our version of oh, wow and, then, and we were both yeah. like oh, what's really yeah <laughs> that's how you're going to and it, they were really just this is our version of undrinkable a undrinkable b wow. but, yeah yeah i i, I but they I, don't they're not around anymore yeah. so I've certainly been inspired by other breweries' beer, uh, but at the same time, too, there's there's usually I want to one up them. I want I think yeah. that there's a way we could have made it better, or I can make it better. So, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to like literally try to follow in someone else's footsteps, but take their idea and make it better, make it your own. And they're just I would, I mean, everything's so diverse now. There's mm-hmm. it's really hard to even say that between breweries that yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that there's nowadays like everybody's trying a, a hazy or a yeah. New, or a New England and um, some. But brew- there, but there are so many you can't yeah. say like this is our version of like you would just be randomly picking yep. a, a, a brewery's hate even right. even any one of some breweries hazy beers yeah. that they yeah. make. Yeah. Uh, see, I was gonna take that to find out what it is I've been doing that makes like, people at breweries hate me, but I guess I no. No, if you, I'll tell you this. If you stop by to see us, we love you. <laughs> that means a lot that you took time out of. And there's a lot of other breweries that you could spend time with here, especially here in the Frederick area. So, no, if you if you stop by and you want to support us, I'm, we're already friends. So where, um, where can people go to find the rundown of uh, all the classes and you sign could, up to buy tickets and whatnot. The easiest, if you just want to type in flyingdoguniversity.com, that'll take you directly to where uh, the current class list is. Um, or if you just go onto the regular Flying Dog Brewery website, uh, there'll be a visit section. And then as soon as you hit the visit page, it'll drop right down and you'll see the Flying Dog University logo. It looks like there, there's something every week, right? We try Sometimes to do, multiple a week. Yeah, I try to do one class. I try to do one opportunity for the public to come by and learn something, either here or wherever else we're teaching a class. Um, and then, yeah, in addition to that, I'm I'm out doing hosting beer dinners and um, taking the education too to uh, uh, retail accounts, uh, wholesale accounts, um, and yeah, just every day. So. I would have had you told me ten years ago that I would be a beer education educator and that would be a career. I would have never believed you. We, <laughs> we had we had some guys come by the brewery the other day, um, and they they basically were um, they've worked with a lot of co- uh, different breweries. And when they were asking me, okay, well, what do you do here? And I'm like, oh, I'm a beer professor. And of course, they you know look at you like you're crazy. And then I'm describing what I'm doing, and their eyes just get huge, and they're like, well, that is probably you have the coolest job in the entire industry. So. I, I agree that I think I have probably the most fun where, um, you know, you're in journalism. And I think that that's kind of what they're well, sort of ish. asking. Yeah. It's a journalism-ish. Yeah. But, but you, you take uh, your job is to ask why, right? Or, or I'd say most journalists, you ask why. And then you get to talk about what you found out. And uh, or how do you how do you know that to be so? And then you get you know then you get to basically tell everybody. Right? I mean that's probably what trained ones do. <laughs> I'm trying to get credit here. <laughs> I'm I'm just an IT yeah. guy that figured out how to drink at work. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a mechanic that found out how to drink at work too. So, <laughs> so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But I, I guess that's that's what I love about my job is I get to I get to ask questions. I get to be curious. Um, and yeah, if, if I'm sitting at my desk too long, it, it doesn't look like I'm doing my job. <laughs> so cool. And you definitely, I, anyone who's ever met, you definitely knows you're not paying lip service. You genuinely mm-hmm. look happy anytime you're at work, at least anytime I've ever seen you at work. It's the coolest job. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to have a bad day. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's still a job, you know, there, there are those 1030 emails that come yeah. in that need, need attention. But sometimes, you know, you look at your phone, you read through the email, they need a response. And I'm like, you know what? They're just asking about some food pairings. This yeah. actually, this will be cool. And I'll help them out. I'll say, oh, you want to go out and source this cheese? Definitely get this beef jerky. That'll go with this. And then, uh, you know, you hit send. And it, it just feels like I was chatting with a buddy. Because if I had a friend text me at the, late at night, too, how often do you get the, uh, the, the friend that texts you the beer list at whatever spot they're at? What should I get? 
often. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like I would do that for a friend. Why wouldn't you know doing it? Well, actually, it's it's slowed down a decent because I, <laughs> I I figured this out um, last last week when I was I had an extra ticket to the beer festival mm-hmm. and I was like. All right, who am I going to invite to come with me? Yeah, and then like I went, so I was like, oh, I'll just scroll through everyone I've texted with recently. Mm-hmm. Almost every single person works in beer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so no, I, none of them are asking me what to, right what right. they should order. Yeah, but actually, it's typically if someone's visiting Pittsburgh, I'll yeah. get that since I go to Pittsburgh to there visit my family semi regularly. I'll get yeah. text messages from those people. Like, there if, you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. Actually, I, I skipped over one: the beer yes. and pickling. Yeah. So is that about like all fermented types of um, food or uh, like kraut and all? Yeah, I would say Sweet Farm is probably most known for their sauerkrauts. Um, so sau- and, and I would also, uh, after taking the class a couple times with her and now kind of experimenting with my own uh, pickling, sauerkraut is definitely one of the easiest ones to start making. Okay. Um, but the principles that start you off with sauerkraut can then be lended into – Almost any any fruit or veg that could come out of your garden, and even some of the uh, the oddballs like pickled eggs, and other things like that. So yeah, it's um, yeah the, the everything starts off with pickling food was a necessity, brewing beer was a necessity, but we've held on to these things partly because they're baked and brewed into our DNA, um, but then as well they're now luxuries today. We've refined these things, you know. Um, people probably thought that you know your jar was being anointed by fairies if it if, it's, <laughs> if it stayed preserved and didn't make yeah. you sick. Where nowadays we understand what microbiology is is acting in there. So it's cool to kind of um, take an ancient sort of almost lost art, modernize it, and and get people excited to try this at home. Our um, our being the Frederick News Post's uh, parent company, uh, one of their magazine arms. Uh, just released a magazine named Fermentation, yeah. and it's about all fermented beverages yep. and foods. And yeah, so it, oh, I don't remember the date of it now, but to launch the magazine, they're gonna have a fermentation festival Love in it. Seven Springs, yep. up in south, a little south of Pittsburgh, yeah, or southeast. Yeah, there's a there's there, uh, Bon Appetit's got a YouTube channel, Brad. It's alive, um, where everything he does is just fermented foods. Everything from uh, gojujang to uh, these sourdough. sourdough to kombucha to anything that's fermented. And what's we don't give fermented foods enough credit. It's almost thirty percent of the of the food that you eat from day to day was at some point fermented. Huh? Yeah. I wouldn't have. So I, yeah, I would not have guessed that. And almost in every single scenario, we're unlocking nutrition. We're adding to the complexity of the flavor and basically adding um, a lot more depth to the food, too. So something like salami is actually a raw product. You're not using heat or energy to cure it. You're using microbes. And so, yeah, I mean, I love working with all these guys. And so, yeah, all these partners that we've got, I get just to learn about all these things that would be fun to learn about anyway. So, again, hard to have a bad day. So I highly recommend that people take the cooking with beer one over all the others, but that's purely just because that's the only one I've taken. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, f- I feel like I've had like um, bits and pieces of yeah. experience of maybe all the other ones yeah. through all the different things I've done with Flying Dog over the years. Um, but I know that I can vouch for the cooking with beer classes yeah. being amazing. The classes go anywhere from... I think our, our less, least expensive one, the $15 uh, Beer Geek Tour. Um, the cooking with beer is a little bit more pricey because of the staff and all the food and, and everything well, that goes into the foundation that. of beer is only $5. Five bucks, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're, we started that this last semester that we wanted to – a lot of people, when they see that we have a classroom, the first thing that they'll ask is, so do you, like, teach people how to brew? I guess they, they think that we're <laughs> – and that's not really what we want to get into. That's, you know, yeah. if you want to learn that, you could A, just go to YouTube or, or check out our friends over at the Flying Barrel. Or a lot of what we're trying to teach is the Or come to the Mother Earth News Fair June 1st and 2nd and come to the Uncapped Building where uh, James from the Flying Barrel should be there. Yeah. But definitely Mike Clements, owner yeah. and founder of Idiom, will be doing a seminar yeah. on homebrewing. So, yeah, there's plenty of information out there for that. But, yeah, we, we kind of, again. That's June 1st and 2nd at the Great Frederick County Fair grounds. I was, I was wondering. What that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, what, again, we want to teach beer education or beer appreciation. And basically, Enjoy spirits and beers from 12. 
of Frederick's finest producers. And, Sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? And I think there was free parking too. Yeah, free, yeah park, free parking. No, no, yeah. I think there's a. The, uh, it's like one of those uh, the Boy Scouts are doing it, and it's a like suggested donation. So it's For, free if you're a bad person. <laughs> I guess I'm a bad person. <laughs> Do they take canned goods? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for free with, actually, um, I'm going to stop because someone will show up with like a can of beans. Like I heard Chris say that I could park for a can of beans. Or, so no, it's a or somebody bring them a can of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, don't yeah. I don't think you want to yeah. be the fine dog employee that gets turned in for no. handing a can of beer yeah. to a Boy Scout? <laughs> <All right. laughs> so we'll just go ahead and say that no, there's not yeah. the. The parking is whatever is posted. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were we talking about before all that? I don't oh, Flying Dog University. But, yeah, not teaching people how to brew beer. So yeah, it's not. I mean, the the brewing process you have to learn that to be able to understand how the flavors in beer come together. But it's again, our, we don't feel like that's our job to really teach you uh, and to empower you to go home and, and turn ingredients into beer. But we want to. We want. We basically want informed consumers. The, yeah. The you know, um, uh, old bay beer and a blood orange beer wouldn't have worked in 1995, because just a pale ale was revolutionary back then. But we can now push the boundaries on beer, and we can make a, a, ki- a kettle kiwi sour, because uh, people are, are ready for that next thing. So yeah. we really just we want an educated consumers so we can keep playing. You can make a beer out of fruity pebbles and put yeah. glitter in it, and people yeah. are gonna love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People will rob a store for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Justin, I want to thank you for coming in. Is this and one mine? Were, yes, that All one's right. yours. And since we were talking about, we, we will be the first ones to use Ooh. the red Solo Cup shot glasses that were left for me by the fine folks at Blackwater. We could, we could um, do like a really small beer pong with like yeah, marbles. Like, and yeah. I don't know if marbles will bounce very or well. BBs or we'll find some. Yes. Orbeez. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I told you about this already, and yeah. anyone who listens is sick of me talking about it. But it's the hop-infused whiskey that I made with McClintock that will hopefully be available in January, February-ish time frame. It smells so good. Um, so I, thank you for coming Cheers. out. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Cheers. I can't wait to do this. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.